Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Laura Fernandez, who is the visionary behind Front Yard Foods in South Carolina. Laura's journey began with a simple garden at the age of 12 and has blossomed into a mission to reconnect people with their food through a personalized garden designs, educational courses, and a passion for community-driven sustainability. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So how did you get started in being interested in plants? Oh man, the day I was born, I suppose. <laughs> um, I've always loved plants, loved being outside. My mom was a, you know, a fairly kind of standard Southern gardener. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I remember planting bulbs out with her as a very young child and just being amazed that they came up every year. You know, we did the kind of typical you know, pansies in the winter and spring flowers. And I just always loved it. Um, But I started being Mm. really interested in growing food when I was about 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when you started growing food, did you actually at that point, like have your own garden or start growing in pots or? Yeah. So I, as the story goes, I just kind of randomly one day told my mom, Hey, I want to, I want to garden. I want to grow food. And she wasn't super familiar. So she had her father. So my grandfather come over and he tilled up a little spot in our backyard. I would guess now looking back, you know, it was probably like a 10 by 10 area, but it felt ginormous for a Mm -hmm. youngster. And I very distinctly remember mounding up the soil for the squash and running um, twine for the beans to climb up and planting tomatoes with him. It was a it's a very clear memory. It was a really big, um, time for me. And then, um, we got it going the first couple of weeks were great, but you know, as a 12 year old in Georgia and hot summer, yeah. I didn't have any clue of what I was doing. So it, it didn't maybe produce what, uh, it could have, but it did produce a little seed inside of me. That's just continued to be just wowed by food growing and, that understanding of the human connection back to the soil. It's, you know, I have really only truly been a major food grower for about the past 10 years, but I've um, ever since like grandmother with my grandfather, I have steadily grown something and um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's just been, it's just been a great part of my life. And then you also had an experience in your twenties where you're able to spend time in Italy. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I have kind of these spots in my life where I look back and I realize they were all adding up to what I do now. And I went to Italy for grad school. I went to study Renaissance art, but what I really got a lesson on was food and what it might look like to source food locally daily, right? Not just a Saturday farmer's market, but where that is just part of the culture that you go down in the morning and you get you know, fresh meat from the butcher coming or, you know, from the farm coming in or fruits and veggies or whatever they are in your eating seasonally and extremely fresh. And that that's not, it's not a big deal. It's normalized. 
And I came home with a deep respect for that type of food culture and really wanting to figure out how to do that here. You know, I was in my twenties and, you know, fresh out of school and trying to get a job going and all of those things. But it was a really important part of my life to see what a different kind of culture could look like. And I've, I've been pretty blessed. I've got to travel a lot. And I will say as much as I love this country, we, we kind of, um, I think we're missing the boat on the availability of fresh food and we do so many things well. And there's a lot of us that are making big efforts to change that. And um, so, you know, I hope to be a part of this, at least a small part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something different about really good, really fresh food. And it's just a whole nother level of culinary delight. Absolutely. Well, and health too. I mean, I think it's all so linked. I I don't think you can talk with one about one without the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about then how Front Yard Foods got started. So, you know, it was kind of, I think so many of us that are kind of entrepreneurs or small business or whatever you want to label us, you know, I think they all start years before they actually become anything. And the idea came to me, I love to cook. Um, I, I like the link between growing and cooking and, and that's really a big part of front yard foods. But what I thought about years ago would, wouldn't it be cool if I could just do like front yard pantry or something. And, you know, once a week kind of say, Hey, this is what I'm cooking up. This is what you could come and pick up. And that was kind of this little idea that I had. And then it just kept going and we moved into our house it'll be five years ago this Christmas and immediately started putting in fruit trees and berry bushes and, you know, plotting out the garden. And I I was surprised by how many people were interested in our neighborhood of what we were doing. And then 2020 hit, we moved in in December of 2019 and then 2020 hit. And we all know what happened then, Mm -hmm. but I got a call from a friend of mine who said, Hey, don't you know how to grow tomatoes? And I, I laughed and I said, well, absolutely. And she said, would you show me how? And it just kind of spiraled from there. I put together a little class, how to grow uh, fall uh, roots and brassicas. And I could not believe how many people signed up and showed up. And so that eventually led me to write the veggie course, which I teach twice a year. It's a three month course and it's everything from seed starting to what to do with your harvest. I teach it in the fall and in the spring. And it just kept going from there. And now I go out to people's homes, look at their space. You know, some people just kind of want to say, hey, this hasn't gone quite right. What might I change? And some people are the very beginning. I was meeting with a woman this week who just bought an acre and a half, moved out of an apartment to this house with a little bit of property. And she's starting right at the beginning. So we kind of come in wherever you are and help people just get, get started and understand how important just the little steps can be. Yeah, you more guide them on the journey. Yes. Very cool. So let's break this down. So you do, you grow transplants, um, Mm -hmm. you teach classes, you do these sourdough classes as well. And then Mm -hmm. you also do like, um, you almost like garden for people. What what would you say kind of like was your biggest surprise and like how your business has grown? I think my biggest surprise, and and I don't know if it would be necessarily a surprise, but 
I, I told my husband the other day, I'd had several really positive, excited clients call me over the course of the afternoon and just with some, what they felt like were some big wins. And, and I got off the phone and I was talking to him and I said, you know, I don't think I'm in the gardening business. I think I'm in the encouragement business. I think that I'm just somebody who is kind of giving people permission to step outside of the box and do something different. Mm. And, you know, I thought my job would be very much like you plant this with this type of soil, you water it X amount of times, you get this product. And really it's just telling people you can do this. Like you're so much more capable than you've been led to believe. And where, I, in my opinion, we've been raised in this culture where unless you purchase it, it doesn't have much value. And I really want to swing the pendulum back the other way and be like, no, what you create is the most valuable and how important that is. And so I've been, I think I've been surprised that it's been much less about fundamentals and much more about meeting people where they are. Mm. Something you said there too, that, you know, what we create is worth money. I mean, how many people do you know who grow a garden and then just give away the tomatoes or give away the beans mm -hmm. when, you know, every farmer is going to charge for those and mm -hmm. people that do that at home really should realize the value of that. Um, their time, their effort, their, what they put into that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and whether they sell it or whether they keep it, like, you know, I also, I teach canning and preserving because I want people to be able to eat year round. And we do a lot of community focused things. And so I do encourage people, Hey, you know, if you have an abundance with, of something, at least trade it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and understand the value that you have put in it. Um, you know, but I think the best stories are when people say, Hey, you know, I grew this. And then we all sat down at the kitchen, at the dinner table and ate together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had actually had a gentleman stop me at whole foods and he said, um, are, are you the girl that teaches the veggie classes? And I said, I, I am. He said, my wife took your class and it's been life-changing for our family. And I said, well, please tell me more. And he said, you know, she's out there and she's growing this thing and she's feeling accomplished. And we all sat down and ate, you know, dinner with broccoli from the garden and mm. to see her be able to express her love for us in that way was so special. And I was really moved by that because that, you know, it's such a wonderful gift to be able to do that. But I didn't think about that when I started this business. Yeah. So of your like four areas or five areas, what is the biggest one? Is it the transplants that, or is it the gardening class? Well, that's an interesting question. I guess it depends on whether you mean what's the biggest for the bottom line. Or yeah, what's maybe, the biggest, um, the biggest bottom line is 100% the garden installations. Um, okay. That's really what keeps the company afloat. I mean, I, they're all money makers. I've, I've dropped some things, to be honest, that didn't mm -hmm. bring in money that really weren't, that I wasn't excited about and they weren't profitable. And so, you know, obviously we're going to drop that. And I think a lot of small business owners find themselves just you know, they start and they just throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. Correct. So yes. I've definitely removed some of those things and tried to, to increase. Um, I, I didn't start out doing a lot of plant starts, but I realized that profit margin was going to be very high for me, especially mm -hmm. because I was purchasing so many four installations mm -hmm. that if I'm already growing those, you know, that's just, mm -hmm. that's a much higher margin for me. 
Um, but the but the garden installations are the the big ticket items for us. Gotcha. Okay. And then what does the average garden installation look like? Is it like two raised beds? Is it an entire backyard? What do people look, what are they looking for? It definitely varies. I would say, you know, on average it's three to four raised beds, but mm -hmm. I've done um, as many as 14. This was actually a very cool project. She had an old um, tennis court and oh. they, it, it was unusable as a tennis court, but it made the perfect space for a raised bed garden. Mm -hmm. And we did those really high and large because there wasn't the drainage of the soil and there wasn't everything mm -hmm. underneath. And, and we talked about what that would look like going forward as far as the capacity of that soil. But, um, and, and I've done everything as small as just really help some people tuck some things in to their walk in front of their house. You know, we've just mm -hmm. snuck a cabbage here or put a basil plant there. Um, so it, it varies pretty dramatically, but I would say on average it's three to four raised beds. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming like during the pandemic, there really wasn't a need for marketing, but I'm assuming now, <laughs> have you, have you just built up your, um, your clientele or what do you focus on now to, to get the word out? Um, I go to farmer's markets and that's really helpful. I'm a regular at a couple of our different local farmer's mm. markets. And so I get to meet people and oftentimes, you know, they won't call for several weeks, but they'll, or they'll shoot me an email and say, Hey, I met you at such and such market. So for me, um, I'm kind of an extrovert and I like to yeah. be with people. Um, and so for me being in a booth and talking or being at events, is really probably the main way that I attract clientele. I, I have a social media presence, I have a website, all of those things, but either word of mouth or the farmer's markets are, are really what has led me to my businesses. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at the farmer's markets, you're typically selling plants yes. in season and then like the middle of the summer, you're just selling other plants. Yeah. So everything that I sell has to fit into the criteria that it's either an edible plant, medicinal plant, or it's specifically um, attractive to pollinators mm. and or just highly pollinator friendly, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, and that it is appropriate for that season. There's nothing that frustrates more than going to a big box store. And, and I live in South Carolina mm -hmm. and seeing broccoli for sale in June, you know, oh, someone is going to purchase that it's going to fail and they are going to suddenly decide they're a bad gardener. Mm -hmm. So everything that I sell is going to, to live right then. And that's also challenging education wise. Um, you know, I had a bunch of stuff set up this past week and everybody's like, Oh, do I need to take that rosemary inside? Do I need to take such and such mm -hmm. inside? And I'm like, no, they're, they're all, you know, cold hardy for our area anyway, certainly not everywhere, but for where we are. And that's a really important piece of it for me is to educate people on what grows when and the best techniques to get it to produce. Mm -hmm. And you mix a lot of different things in your garden too, because I'm looking at, you've got some pots in there that have the herbs and then some of the raised beds, you've got, you know, different things, but on the edges, you're doing more flowers. Sure. Yeah. I try to do a little bit of everything. I would say my front yard is uh, pretty messy because I test a lot, right? I don't uh, want to teach uh -huh. anything that I haven't tried. Um, you know, I want to try to speak based on my own experiences with a particular plant. And, um, so it can, it can look like a little bit of a hodgepodge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 
I love it. And I'm always trying something new. We just did a big clear out. We actually took out a number of the raised beds that are out there, created a much larger in-ground area, which I'm excited about. Um, and I have two greenhouses in the back. I have a kind of an annual greenhouse that is heated and cooled properly. And then I have a, um, like a cattle panel, mm. just mm -hmm. plastic coated greenhouse. It just adds a little bit of protection in the frost, but it's not heated in there. And your transplant house, is that the one made out of windows? Yes. I use, well, I use them both for transplants, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a cool house. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the business side of this. It's just you who does this or do you have people that help you with installs or? I do. I'm very fortunate. I have a young woman named Leslie that works for me. Um, I have to come up with a better term than assistant because I think I'd fall apart if she, <laughs> if she yeah. were not here. And she does a little bit of everything. You know, this company has it's, has its reach in a lot of different areas. And so, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. And she's very good at pivoting. She's been with me for about a year and she does a lot of the grunt work and a lot of behind the scenes things as well. Um, I often enlist my son and lucky for me, he is 16 and on the football team. So he knows mm -hmm. lots of really strong young men. So my yeah. Saturdays <laughs> during the school year, anyway, my Saturdays are, are nice because they'll come out and throw mulch and do some of the things that I need done. Um, and then, you know, if it gets too much, I could, I also enlist my husband. So it's still very much a family operation. Um, so that's, that's really it. I would love to be able to expand and I hope by next year that I'm able to, to do that, but I feel very blessed that I even have one person on the payroll. That's a, that was a big, mm -hmm. a big, uh, step forward for me. Yeah, absolutely. So with Leslie, then how did you find her? Was she a former student or, um, actually I just, she was a friend of a friend. We, we met that way. She just kind of walked over to the room and we started talking and our interests just aligned and mm -hmm. she, she was looking for some work. And I said, Hey, I don't know how you feel about being outside, but I've got this big job coming up. And she came and like day one, we just, just, it worked. And, um, she's learned a lot and, um, just she's very patient I can be a little bit um <laughs> I can be tough sometimes she's yeah very patient and very willing to learn and she's really creative and so it's somebody that I can bounce ideas off of so I just got really lucky I don't I mm -hmm. wish I had some great story but it just happened and mm -hmm. she I was willing to ask her and she was willing to say yes and it, it just worked out really beautifully Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finding that right person, especially that first hire is such a key aspect. You know, once you start adding more and more people, they don't have to be quite as good a fit because there's more people to work with them. Mm -hmm. But right at the beginning, it's got to be just the right person. Yeah, I got I, I got extremely lucky. Uh, there's no other yeah. way to say it. Yeah. So then let's talk about the backside of the business. Like, are you using QuickBooks or how do you run all your your books for the business? So I will say this was a big learning curve for me. And I, I wish I had gotten it a little more organized early on. So I would say to anyone who's starting out, like do this upfront. Um, but I was, I did, I do use QuickBooks um, and I have someone that helps me with it just because the first year 
the first couple of years I tried to do taxes, it was a disaster with me and spreadsheets. And I mean, it was days on end of just endless receipts and things. Um, so I'm much more organized this year and I do use QuickBooks and I have someone that will help me go, go over all of that. Um, numbers are not my strong suit, but I have learned that it doesn't matter. I have to do it and I've got to stay organized. And so that's something that's really been um, a, a new practice for me. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, and then what, what kind of vehicles do you need for this business? <laughs> My poor car is so trashed. Um, I have a work truck. I just have an old Toyota Tacoma pickup truck and she is the workhorse of everything. And then I have a large SUV that we carry a lot of plants in. Um, my husband also has a pickup if, if I can't handle everything in the Toyota, but that's really, you know, we kind of are on a wing and a prayer. I'm, I have, um, some big events that I do. And so I, have to look at whether I want to rent a car. Um, mm -hmm. I do Rory Feek's Homestead Festival in June. Mm -hmm. And this past year, we took two vehicles, but this year we're looking at renting a box truck. Just, mm -hmm. um, it was really tough squeezing everything in. And um, I had a lot of plant damage when we got there. And gotcha. You know, uh -huh. So that's, yeah. it's something mm -hmm. you have to consider. Um, and, you know, a plant for, seven, eight, nine hours in a car bent over is just not going to be beneficial. Correct. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of new for this year. Us looking into the, into the vehicle situation. We actually, the SUV that I bought was hilarious. We were, I didn't care about the engine. We just kept measuring the, <laughs> the length and the width of the inside. So the guy thought we were crazy, but, um, yeah, will it fit? Will it fit? Yeah. Will it fit? And, you know, and can I fit an eight foot table for markets and all of those things that a lot of people would not think about when they're purchasing a vehicle. Yeah. We're starting to do more festivals and shows too. And we're looking at, you know, one of those, um, sprinter vans and obviously yeah. those things are not cheap, but it would be, it would allow us to do a lot of things locally that we haven't been able mm -hmm. to do so far. And we wouldn't have to, we would stop. We would have, we wouldn't have to borrow our friend's truck anymore because mm -hmm. we actually don't have a pickup for the farm and they wouldn't laugh at us, but I have a father-in-law and a uncle with nice pickups and then a friend that has a nice pickup. So I just, I just don't need it. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that's a really valuable point. Like only have what you need, you know, yeah. there's, there's a lot of things in this business that people have that, you know, you were talking about a tractor earlier. I just, that's just not something I need. I consider myself an urban farmer, but I'm just not at a place where mm -hmm. some of the large equipment is going to be necessary for me. I hope to grow into yeah. that space at some point. Um, but yeah, we, we make do with what we have. Mm -hmm. Do you even have like a BCS, like a small walking tractor? No, I don't have anything like that. Okay. Okay. So mm -hmm. you basically, your beds are typically hand dug or hand managed. Oh yeah. Everything is done by hand. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Um, so then what would you say? Like, I mean, like when you're sharing your customer stories, I mean, do you try to talk about what your customers are doing on like your um, Instagram or Facebook at all? Um, sometimes I'll share, you know, like some progress pictures, um, especially with some of our really big jobs. Um, and it just kind of depends on the client too. Sometimes they get excited when I'm taking pictures and they're like, Oh, are you going to share that on your social uh -huh. media? Um, and so then I definitely want to make sure that I do, cause I can tell that they're excited about it. Um, we're the website. I 
uh, have been working really hard on our website the last, I guess, about three months. And so we are actually designing a page where you can go on and see the designs. You can mm. see the before pictures. You can see my sketches um, and my renderings for the designs. And then you can see what they look like after. So hopefully in the next several weeks, that'll be that'll be part of the website as well. Very cool. And what software do you use for those designs? Uh, just me, myself, and my pencils. I okay. was a studio art major. And um, I learned how to do... I took a really early on, I took a landscape... Uh, architect class. I mean, I did not go in that direction, oddly enough, but um, yeah, so I, I just do everything by hand. I guess I'm kind of old school in that way. I've looked at a couple of software designing programs. Mm -hmm. I just haven't found any that I really like. Yeah. Well, if you've got that experience to do it by hand, why, why change? Yeah. I guess yeah. I would like to get some sort of nice, large scanner though, to actually be able to put them um, onto the computer. I think that would be really helpful. That might be, mm -hmm. that might be a future purchase. <laughs> yeah. 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 Corinna, we all love a good acronym and we've got a couple here today, the AOV versus LCV. All right. What are we talking about? <laughs> so AOV stands for average order value and LCV stands for lifetime customer value. These are two data metrics that you should absolutely be tracking in your business. And I didn't know about these until a few years ago. And it's been a game changer now that I'm studying them and trying to get them higher. So the average order value, it's tracking the average dollar amount that's spent each time a customer places an order, right, at the point of sale. So if your average client is spending $20 with you whenever they come to the farmer's market, you know that's just a good number to know the higher you can get that average order value in general for all of your customers, the more revenue you're going to make. And so we can try to increase the average order value by trying to get people to buy one more thing or put one more thing into their cart, right? So that's one way we can grow our revenue. When we know what that AOV is, then we can make business decisions. We can kind of make income projections for um, the next year, or we can set goals uh, for how to, you know, how to increase our revenue. The lifetime customer value is the amount of revenue that's generated by the average client over the entire lifetime with your business. So the way that you figure out what this is, is you try to track what does the average customer spend in one year with you? And then you multiply that by the average number of years that a customer is with you. And that's usually a really high number. Like for us, when I kind of did the math and saw that, you know, my client Tracy is, is bringing in over $10,000 uh, by the time she's done with our farm, all of a sudden I had a completely different perspective on how much I was willing to spend to acquire that customer in the first place. So I think this is a really powerful metric to become aware of. Well, and I think too, with that second one is lifetime customer values. There's certain people that you're going to give a little bit of special treatment to, like maybe when yeah. they sew up, you're going to say, Hey, you know what? I was thinking of you this week. Here's a flower or something like that. Because again, they are the spending the larger amounts and you are going to work a little bit harder to make sure that they are very happy. <laughs> and that's something too, is that we've noticed with increasing our diversity is one of the easiest ways to up our average spend per visit. 
And so, you know, now that we're offering, you know, breads and milk and milk and meat and stuff like that, uh, obviously we're not producing those. We're just adding those to our store. But I think that's a great way to up your average value. You can also just grow different types, some more different types of products, but that also gets to be a, a more challenge in production. So yeah, again, one of my best tips that I've recently learned is that I like to drop a new product into the online store, like on the second day. So I don't release it with everything else at first. Mm. I announced that I've added something in and it causes all of those buyers to go back again and, you know, buy that product. And while they're there, they usually add in one or two other things from the cart. So that's another, you know, kind of little trick you can try to increase the number of times that they frequent your store that will also increase your lifetime customer value. Interesting. We'll have to try that one because I haven't tried that one yet but very cool. If you want more farm marketing tips like this, check out my top rated weekly show, the My Digital Farmer podcast. I teach marketing concepts and interview lots of farmers to find out what's working and not working in farm marketing to help you find more customers, increase your sales and build a strong brand for your farm. Look for the My Digital Farmer podcast on your favorite podcast app. If you could go over and start the business over again, what would you say you'd do differently? That's a great question. I don't want to say I wouldn't change anything because not because I've, what I've done has been perfect, but I'm really happy with where we are. And mm. I feel like all those steps have kind of led me that way. Um, I, I think if I could go over again, I would have just been more organized up front and mm. a little <laughs> bit less dreamy and romantic about it. <laughs> okay. You know, where it was, and I got a little bit more um, into the nitty gritty of the business aspect of it, which oddly I really enjoy. I was staying away from those types of things. I was like, oh, I don't want to get bogged down, but I love pulling reports and seeing what's going on and, and seeing where our strengths are and where we could tighten things up. Um, Cause mm -hmm. overall it just, it's going to make the company better. So I think if I, if I had to answer that question, it would say, you know, to be a dreamer and to be excited but to also look at it from someone who wants a successful operation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and in your mind, what does a successful operation look like? Hmm. Well, money in the bank <laughs> yep. is the simple answer, but that we can do what we need to do. You know, mm -hmm. that I, if I need to hire somebody for a job, I'm not sweating it you know, mm -hmm. that we are, that our, that our clients are pleased with the output, mm -hmm. that the greenhouse is producing good quality plants that we can stand behind, that we're able to continue to expand. Um, you know, my goal in the next three or four years is to have a freestanding building that's, you know, that I'm not working out of my house that we mm -hmm. can really grow into something. And so I think just to be successful along the way is to be continuing to move in that direction. And I think it also looks like letting go of things that aren't serving a purpose for us too, and being able to understand the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do you see in your future? Do you see just to continue to do the same thing? Do you feel like there's a part of your business that will continue to expand faster than the rest? Yeah, I think I've been really surprised by the plant sales. That was a really small, just kind of 
just not even idea, little notion that I had one of the events, the markets that I went to, I had, because uh, I originally got into the markets and the events just to be out there and to tell people what we did, to talk about my classes and to tell uh -huh. them we would come out to their gardens. It wasn't ever about selling anything. And I had a bunch of plants that I had not planted out in my own garden. And so I just stuck them in the car with me and I took them to the farmer's market and they sold in like, I mean, not even yeah. 30 minutes. And I was like, whoa. And so I thought, well, maybe I should try this. And so in the last 18 months, that has just skyrocketed and people are calling and meeting me places and wanting because they want a good quality plant that's been started here in South Carolina that, you know, I'm not certified organic and nor do I think I ever will be, but I use only organic practices. And I also offer plants that are a little bit more interesting, you know, a little bit more diversity, um, heirloom quality and things like that. So that's, that's definitely a part of the business that I am loving and I'm enjoying, but I didn't know would be such a big part of it at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you do a fair amount of unusual plants too. You don't just do your tomatoes and peppers. You have things like olives mm -hmm. and figs and all of that. Yeah. And pomegranates. Um, I do blueberry, blackberries, raspberries. We do goji berries. Um, we do all kinds of different herbs. Um, you know, the, the tomatoes, the plants that I sell are going to be yellows and oranges and striped and all kinds of fun things. Um, you know, I do Tulsi, which people mm -hmm. love and, you know, have a hard time finding starts for. We sell a lot of calendula and edible flowers. Yeah, we try to do just just a little bit just a little bit of the more unusual things. Yeah. Now with a lot of those like blueberries and stuff, is that where you're bringing in bare root and potting up or you're actually taking cuttings? Uh, both, both just okay. depending on what they are. Yeah. 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 Some of them are just super easy to do cuttings and some of them are not. Right. right. Like we, we just got in a ton of, um, of strawberries, but I actually got those from bare root from a grower that I know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And yeah. So we, we potted up, oh my gosh, so many strawberries. And we'll have those ready, but we kind of do those throughout the year. Cause we're lucky here. We can grow just about three, six, 365 days a year here. So it's nice. Yeah. You are guys are pretty warm down there. Yes, um, we are. <laughs> it does make I, my job easier. I will say that. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess I would say in the summer, it's a lot harder to keep things alive because it's so hot and humid oh, and, gosh, and yes. nasty, but you almost have like a three month season, three season, um, you have like a fall, winter, spring is really where it's at. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My the the olive tree I got from you is still sitting in the bench in the greenhouse. Um, <laughs> I ended up getting a bunch of sea berries from Oregon, so there's now with the sea berries and the autumn olives that nice. I have in there. So very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just picked up additional six acres of land to lease. Um, so I'm not, I'm still trying to figure out where things are going. It's an eight year lease. So we can actually put some, um, short lived perennials on it. Nice. So, um, we'll definitely be moving our comfrey production over there. Cause we produce a tremendous amount of comfrey root, um, that we ship all over the nation. And, um, yeah, that needs to go over there. Cause we're going to have rotation here on the farm for it. Yeah. Comfrey is, I get asked, I, I don't produce currently any comfrey and I get asked about that all the time. It might be something that we have to, uh, to check out, but. Yes. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, you just need a hundred pack 
And um, I mean, your markup on that is incredible. I mean, we sell at the farm store with farm market here. We sell like a one gallon for like 15 or 20 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very easily. People have no problem at all paying that because wow. it, because it, it takes three, four weeks and those things just explode right up and look like a full, full one gallon. Wow. That's awesome. So. All right. What would you say to someone who's, you know, starting down this journey for the first time? I would say you follow your passion, like let, let yourself dream, you know, without, um, without stifling yourself at the beginning, at least, you know, maybe you have to tailor things as you go along. But I do think the reason that I've been successful is because I just, allowed myself to fully walk into what I was excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, also, you know, marrying that with a business mind. Um, I, I don't think, I think you can be too structured in the business area and you lose your passion, right? So mm -hmm. then you're not really doing anything that excites you. And so your creativity is going to die or you can be on the other end where you're just being creative and excited and oh who cares we'll sell it for this or we'll sell it for that right and then you end up kind of taking a nosedive mm -hmm. um and so just just being able to bring those two things together um but there's a there's such a market for for food growing and you know i'm a little bit different because i don't sell the product of the plants mm -hmm. right you know i'm not at the farmers market selling the tomato and I started the markets thinking that that was who I was, right? Or mm. or having that as my understanding and and really having to curtail that and realize like I'm showing up very differently at these markets. And um, just seasonally, my my product is going to look very different than um, than selling the actual tomato. So I think it's finding your own niche and finding what is unique about your business and exploring and then exploiting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're opening up a whole new um, part of farming and just agriculture that um, has long been relegated to the large nursery that mm -hmm. doesn't have that personal touch. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, anyone can compete with Lowe's because Lowe's has no clue what they're selling. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been happen. I've happened to, um, freaking a Lowe's once in a while for their, usually their, their 75% off corner. Um, because I know I can save some of the stuff right. they throw, they pretty much throw away. I know it's so sad. Oh my gosh. Uh, my husband was just rolled his eyes at me one day. Cause I was out there with the hose, like watering plants because, you know, in the middle of the summer you go over there and I mean, nobody cares. Nobody's doing anything to help those poor plants. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I had one that I think was, I think they were 50% off and I took them up front and I crackled the top and oh basically, and I was like, can I get more? And she's like, okay, fine. 10 bucks each. But I knew that down at the base of the plant, mm -hmm. it had, had, had green wood. So mm -hmm. I knew I could save it. Right. And we did, right. so, but it's just funny. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I want to let everyone know like that all their efforts are are valid and worthy and you know i love when people have 40 acres that they're able to farm but the reality is most people are not there and some people have no desire to get there 
right? Mm-hmm. So if we can connect to someone who's in a you know regular old subdivision or in an apartment on a balcony and let them feel like what they're doing is valid because it is, mm-hmm. then we're we're going to change the dynamic of our food system. We're going to change the dynamic and the culture that we think about food um, mm-hmm. and, and that we have around food. And that ultimately is my goal. It's for yeah. people, you know, not just to put rosemary in the ground, but to cut it and bring it into their kitchen and see what they can do with it. Um, mm-hmm. And just to, to complete that, that circle. Yeah. And create a recipe with it, create some mm-hmm. memories with your family mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah. I think you're right is that yes, the, the 40 acre farmers are great and the thousand acre farms are great, but I think the real change can happen at the quarter acre, the 10th of an acre, the balcony, you know, yeah. um, pot. Well, and when you grow something, even on a tiny scale, you immediately, well, in my opinion, immediately have more respect for those on the 40 acres and the thousand acres because you start to have an understanding and a link to the work that goes into that. You know, when you are, um, you, you just, your food becomes more valuable. And so when you go to the farmer's market, you know, even if you're not growing it, but you can ask questions to the farmer, you can understand how they got that tomato to the table, you know, and you, you value it and you go home and you can make a recipe and enjoy it with your family with a whole different perspective mm-hmm. on it, just because you decided to grow one in a five gallon bucket. And that may seem really simplistic, but ultimately I think it's, there's a lot of truth to it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I, you're right. There's that respect that now I have done it once. I respect what goes into creating that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate your time and uh, excited about what you're, what you're up to and all the change you're making in your little part of the world. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you uh, having me on. It was nice talking to you. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.